Thank you, Pastor Nolan. Also, one announcement that I forgot. There is the baby shower uh, immediately following the service at, uh, at, at noon. And uh, yeah, so please uh, be able to attend, uh, particularly ladies in the church. Um, totally forgot to announce that. My apologies. Uh, also, speaking of apologies, uh, many of you received uh, an email from me earlier this week. And uh, yeah, I just want to, from up front, just ask for your forgiveness, especially uh, for those of you who may have been hurt by something that I said last week during my sermon. I brought up the topic of mental illness and the demonic, and my heart was to push against the secular worldview that presupposes there's only physical realities. And so at one point, I, I said these words, and this is a quote from what I said, so excuse the bad grammar. Satan can use physical realities as well. So yes, there may indeed be a lot of physical things like mental illness, but that have a root cause in the demonic. Now, when I said that, um, this is one of the trouble that I can get into as not a manuscript preacher. Sometimes I may say something that uh, I look back on it and I'm like, that is not at all what I wanted to communicate. And this is one of them. That, what I said, I think, created great uh, trouble and harm and hurt to some of you who are dealing with mental illness and uh, know people that are dealing with mental illness. And what I intended to communicate and what my heart is, uh, is not that all mental illness has a root cause in the demonic, certainly not, but rather I just wanted to highlight that mental illness can, like all physical infirmities, can have a root cause in the demonic. And that doesn't mean anything necessarily about us either. That means that we have an enemy. And so please, if, if what I said was hurtful to you, know my heart that it was not to hurt you, but I just wanted to, to highlight uh, something that we don't think about very often and that, praise God, we have a Savior who is greater than both our enemy and the physical realities that we, we uh, face. And so, church, my heart is never uh, to hurt anyone. Um, I want to speak the truth of the infallible Word of God, but I am not infallible, and sometimes I may say something uh, that is incorrect and needs to be corrected. So I invite you, if I say something at all, that you're ever like, I'm, I'm confused by what he said, or that I don't think that is correct, please come and, and talk to me. Uh, I would love to process through it with you, and there's a good chance that maybe I did say something that was like, oh yeah, that's not exactly what I should have said, or maybe it's something in particular that I need to even repent of. So please, please forgive me. In light of this, if you want to talk more, there's an open discussion time with me at 2 p.m. Uh, this afternoon right here in the church if you want to talk more. Uh, so, so please come to that, and I, I'd like to ask for forgiveness face-to-face -face from you if uh, what I said was hard uh, and, and hurt you. So, um, church, I love you guys, and I appreciate just the amount of affection and forgiveness and love that many of you have shown me this week. So, so thank you. Uh, it is a blessing uh, to be your pastor. So thank you, church. Okay, um, I forget this every week, but we do have tot time, and uh, three to six-year-olds, I think you're probably already gone, but uh, I, you're welcome uh, if you're potty-trained parents to take your three to six-year-old back to uh, the back corner Sunday school room over here. It's called the Martha Room, where they will have an age-appropriate lesson, and we call it tot time. All right, church, uh, in light of my foibles, let's read what is infallible and God's Word. So you, will you stand with me? We are in Matthew chapter 9 verses 1 to 8 today, when Jesus heals the paralytic. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, we pray that you would grant us soft hearts, open ears to understand your word today. May we walk out of here different men and women as we are changed by your grace and your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, one of my favorite word pictures, uh, a phrase nowadays that the young people say is, he ghosted me. Now, uh, I don't love that ghosting happens, but I think the picture it creates is vivid. Now, if you don't know what the idea of ghosting is, think of how when, uh, you know, a ghost, you don't see them. Ghosts are gone. Here's the uh, Wikipedia uh, definition of ghosting. It's this. You know, of course, Wikipedia must be, right? The practice of suddenly ending all communication and avoiding contact with another person without any apparent warning or explanation and ignoring any subsequent attempts to communicate. Now, none of us have perfect relationships, so there's a temptation when relationships get difficult that we're like, I'm done, I'm out, not interacting with this person anymore. That's a common problem, I think, for many of our our youth today. It's it's tempting. I'm not going to deal with this. I'm not going to deal with it. We have broken relationships. And we wonder, because we have this temptation to deal with other people in this manner, where we will just cut it all off, we ghost them, we wonder, does God do that with us? And not necessarily that He does ghost us, but is He even tempted to ghost us. What is his heart? But also the truth is, I think there's many times where you and I have ghosted the Lord. Like, Lord, I really don't want to talk to you right now. I'm just going to kind of do my own thing because surely you don't want to talk to me. Or I'm frustrated, Lord, with what you have done in my life. Does God indeed forgive us? And do we live as if God has forgiven us. Because if we do not live as if God has forgiven us, we live with the burden of sin. We, learn, we live with that shame and guilt. And over time, we can either become burdened and, and we, we fall into despair, or in order to try to alleviate the burden, we fall into this numbness where we don't even believe we need to be forgiven in the first place. Those are the two ditches that we can fall into I don't need to be forgiven. I haven't done anything wrong. Or, Lord, how could you possibly want to have anything to do with me? What an awful wretch I am. And neither of those are ways to live because God wants us to live forgiven and free. He wants us to live in light of his forgiveness and walk in his forgiveness. 
By the way, you have an index card with you in your seat. That's not for taking notes in the sermon today. We're going to do something special with it at the end. We've been in this Behold Your King series, and today we see Jesus forgiving sins. The King who forgives sins. We've seen His compassion before, and we've seen His power, and now we see both His power and compassion coming together in how He forgives sin. So today, church, I hope and pray that we walk out of here with a sense of freedom. All right, here's our first point to today. As we get back into our text, I want you to be looking for this. We need spiritual healing more than we need physical healing. We need spiritual healing more than we need physical healing. Now, I think all of us know that we need physical healing, and especially the older we get, we're like, yeah, my body, it's not exactly cooperating with me anymore. I would like some physical healing. But the reality is, we need spiritual healing far more. We need our souls to be restored. And Jesus does this with this paralyzed man. So here we start, kind of picking up in verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this may seem a little odd. These guys, these friends of this paralyzed man, have brought him to Jesus, and instead of providing healing, which seems pretty obvious as to what a man who cannot walk would want, he says, my son, your sins are forgiven. We look at that and we say, Jesus, what are you doing? As far as we know, this guy didn't even ask for forgiveness. But Jesus brings forgiveness. Now, for the original readers of Matthew, this comment wouldn't be entirely as strange as we find it today, because for them, sickness was often associated with sin in their culture. Now, Jesus tells us that not all disease and infirmities were the direct result of personal sin. He says this in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. The disciples are talking about a blind man who's been brought to Jesus, and they say, who sinned, this guy or his parents? And Jesus is like, neither. It's not his fault or his parents' fault. Instead, he's blind so that the glory of God can be known in this moment when I heal him. So Jesus makes it clear, not all sickness, not all infirmity is the result of sin. But Jesus' brother James tells us in James chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, we're not going to look at them right now, but he does talk about sickness that is the result of sin. And he talks about confessing our sin and having the elders pray for you so that you can be healed. So it's not, again, you know, no sickness is caused by sin, but some sickness may be caused by sin. So anyways, the culture of Jesus' day here would not have found Jesus or the talk of sin being odd in this instance where this paralyzed man is brought to him. Now, we don't know if this man was paralyzed because of sin. Matthew doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't tell us. That doesn't seem to be the point of the story. But we do see that Jesus is addressing this man's deepest need. He comes to Jesus because he has a need, and Jesus looks at him, and he, of course, sees the physical need, but he gives this man exactly what he truly needs, which is forgiveness. And we are reminded of the words at the very beginning of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20, uh, verse 21, where the angel is speaking to Joseph and says that his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. 
Jesus' name, by the way, means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. So Matthew is telling us again, kind of giving us this picture that Jesus is indeed here to forgive sins, to save us from our sins, and that our physical infirmities ought to point us to our need for a Savior. They remind us that we are living in a broken and fallen world and we need a God to restore us. Now, our deepest need is spiritual healing. Is, is, that's what Jesus is showing us here. So our biggest problem is sin, but then why? is our biggest problem, sin. What is exactly sin doing? Well, there's kind of two sides of a coin that I want to bring to your attention real quick. The first is that the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God. That's the first consequence of sin, eternal separation from God. Romans 6.23, you may be familiar, says, For the wages of sin is death. And even at the very beginning, in the garden, in Genesis 2.12, when God is giving the command to Adam about what he can and can't eat, he says, and he says, you know, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And in the Hebrew, it's dying die. You will absolutely die. And then Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah the prophet comes into the presence of the living God. And what's his response? Not, oh my goodness, I love you so much. It is, woe is me. For I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips. This is the prophet Isaiah. Sin causes death, causes the wrath of God to be upon us. There is a literal consequence that happens because of sin. There is a penalty for it. That is a big problem. So we have this tremendous need for that penalty to be paid. So that's the first consequence. The second consequence, which is kind of the other side of this coin, you have a penalty for sin, but then you also have the fact that you have fellowship with God being broken. So we are under the wrath of God, but that also means that we were, that, well, that our, our ability to connect with God and know Him and delight in Him and experience Him is ruined. Sin ruins that, shreds it apart, and then we're no longer to, able to be with the one that we ought to know. So we both have a penalty, something we owe, but then we also have just the result of, man, I don't get to be with the one that loves me. So sin has consequence. It's our biggest problem, and we need forgiveness. Forgiveness, and Jesus gives that. My son, your sins are forgiven. Forgiven. Now, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness literally means to release one from a debt. That's what the Greek word means. It's the release of a debt. And when you release someone from a debt, that means that you are taking on the debt yourself. It means you say, I will take on that cost. You don't owe me anything. That is forgiveness. But also, so that refrees up the penalty. The penalty has been paid. The one who the debt was owed to. But also, fellowship is restored relationship can come together again because that penalty has been paid. All is made right and new, and that is what forgiveness does. And that is our deepest need. So we need spiritual healing more than we need physical healing. But we have this fear. Jesus, do you really forgive me? Look at my mess. That brings us to the beautiful truth. That is, that's Matthew's main point in this whole section. Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. 
Matthew, you know, I've, I've said this several weeks in a row. Terrible storyteller. He doesn't build up a lot of tension. You read this story in Mark and in Luke, and there's like a lot of ins and outs, and the guy comes through the roof and all this stuff. It's, it's wild. Matthew is just like, no, we're getting straight to the point that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. Now, why is that important? that Jesus actually has authority to forgive sins. You know, we kind of take that for granted. Well, of course, you know, Jesus, he forgives my sins. But it's important because we see that with Christ, we're not going through a third party. We're not going to someone and kind of hearing the telephone game of, yes, indeed, you are forgiven. It's one thing for me to tell you that you're forgiven. Yes, you know, hey, God above, he forgives you. But it's different if God himself speaks to you and says, on my authority as God, you have forgiveness in my eyes. That is a big deal because that is sure. That is real. That's what we need. You guys don't need me to say you're forgiven, although maybe that would be a comfort to you. You need Christ to say you are forgiven, and he has that authority. So let's see it in the text. Starting back in verse 3, the scribes have this poor reaction to Jesus. You know, they start grumbling amongst themselves and in their hearts, this man is blaspheming. By the way, this is the first conflict in Matthew that Jesus actually has with the scribes. Now, we know that we don't want to side on the side of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew. They are usually the opponents of Jesus. But I think we can also understand their response here. Because Jesus is claiming to do something that only God can do. Only God can forgive sins. This is a somewhat justified response. Now, as Readers, we know, Matthew has shown us, Jesus, he's got some divine powers here. He's no ordinary man. He is the God-man. But the scribes, you know, they, of course, don't see all of this and they are unwilling to receive the truth. But it is true that God alone can forgive sins. God alone can forgive sins. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 4, uh, David is confessing his sin of uh, the sin of, he had adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And this is what David says in Psalm, 54 verse, or Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you and you only, speaking to God, have I sinned. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He murdered a guy. And he says, against you only, God, have I sinned. Sin is ultimately against God. First and foremost, it is against God. He is the one that we need forgiveness from. Now, of course, we sin against one another, but ultimately it is against God who is the rule maker. Now, Jesus, he perceives what's going on in the hearts of these men and says, why do you think evil in your hearts? For what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? So he rebukes them for not recognizing his authority and issues this challenge. And his point is, it's obviously easier to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Well, there's no physical proof. Who knows if God's forgiven your sins? You know, God hasn't brought down a neon light and said, Hey, guess what? Your sins are forgiven. Here's the sign. You can point to it. Or here's the little piece of you that you can cut open and see. Oh, yeah, there we go. I found this piece of my heart, the little forgiven portion. There's no proof. But if you say to someone, I can heal you, rise, pick up your mat, and walk. Well, it's going to become really clear if there's actually any, you know, oomph behind that command. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. And in verse 6, Jesus then says, but that you may know 
that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He says, I'm going to heal so that you will know that I do indeed have the authority to forgive sins. Now, this story is exciting because, hey, Jesus has power to heal a guy. That's great. But what's more incredible is that God himself is offering forgiveness to sinners. We should look at this and be like, holy cow, all of the junk that I've done, there's forgiveness for it? It's available? Jesus is bringing it? And then he issues this command to the man. This command that if it was anybody else, we would just kind of laugh at. We say, no, they don't have the the authority or the power to do that. But what happens in verse 7? And he rose and went home. It happens. He's healed. And the people, they fear because they recognize, oh, we are in the presence of something remarkable. God has given something to this man. We see that he is a man. God's authority rests with him. And we are in his presence. And that is something to be afraid of because there is great power and authority there. And they glorify God. God was the one that we have wronged. He is the one that we have wronged. And here he is saying, your sins are forgiven. What great mercy. This man brought nothing to the table. He's a paralyzed man. But God takes mercy on him. Not the most righteous. Not the most amazing guy. The guy who couldn't walk. God forgives. What a beautiful reality. Matthew wants us to know that forgiveness is found in Jesus. And all of us need that forgiveness and restoration. He invites us to look to Him. Not to philosophy, not to religion, not to good behavior, not to being successful, not to having all the money in the world, not to being a good friend or father or whatever. He says, look to Jesus and recognize your need. Come as someone who needs healing. The paralytic came as one who needed healing. Do we come before the Lord, spiritually speaking, as people who are spiritually paralyzed? Do we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't walk before you. I've done wickedness and evil. I'm a dead man. Do we do that? Or do we pridefully in our hearts say, don't worry about it, God. I'll just do better. God says, will you come to me like the paralyzed man who has nothing to offer He says, if you do that, there is mercy, I will forgive you. So church, no matter the depth of your wickedness or what you have done, you may be sitting here this morning and feeling like, yeah, Pastor Mark, I hear you, but you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's in the depth of your heart, but I know what's in the depth of mine. And God can forgive. He offers it. It's real. Whether you are guilty of lying, cheating, stealing, sexual immorality, abuse, or even murder. Paul was guilty of murder after all, and he wrote a big chunk in the New Testament. God offers forgiveness to you. To you. It's for the sinners, not for the righteous. We'll see more of that next week. But the more you see, or the bigger you see your sin, the bigger the cross will become, and the bigger God's mercy will be. Oh, what joyous things that will see. You know, church, 
there, you may be here and maybe you've never asked Jesus to forgive you. You've never placed your faith in Jesus in the sense that Jesus died on the cross, that His death will cover you should you come to Him in faith and believe. He offers salvation to those who will believe. Will you believe that Jesus died for you or will you continue to go your own way trying to earn your salvation before the Lord? Whether you believe in the God of the Bible or not, that is what we are doing in our lives when we say, I'm going to do what I want to do. That means I'm going to try to live the best life I can, or I'm going to try to make some God somewhere happy, or the universe make it work out my way. I'm just going to think positively about things. Those are all things that rest on me, that I'm trying to get God or whatever is out there to like me. But God says, I am real and I offer you forgiveness should you come to me. Should you come to me. There is great mercy. Just come like the paralyzed man. Now, I kind of skipped over a little bit back in verse 2, the idea that these people came in faith. And on your outline there, there's a section that talks about how to walk in forgiveness. I want to spend the rest of my time kind of talking about how do we actually walk in forgiveness? Because as Christians, we stand forgiven, right? Like when we come to Christ, we believe in Him, we become Christians, we're made new, we have new hearts, we are forgiven for all of our sins, but we still sin, and we still need to ask for forgiveness. So how do I walk in forgiveness? What does this practically look like? So we're going to spend the last third of the day talking about that. We're going to start out with verse 2, where these guys come bringing the paralytic, and Jesus sees their faith. He sees their faith. And that is why he is moved to forgive. It's not just that they came, but that they came with faith. They were trusting that Jesus was who He said He was, that He had the ability to heal this man. Faith, ultimately, is trust. It's trust in the work of Jesus. Now, these guys obviously didn't have a full picture that Jesus was going to die on the cross as the substitutionary, sacrifice the substitutionary atonement for their sins. They didn't know that. But they did know that Jesus was their Savior, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. They come to Him in faith. And because of that, Jesus forgives. So for us, faith, Jesus says, first off, will you trust, have faith that I will forgive? So in light of faith, how does this work itself out? How do we walk in forgiveness as people who have faith? There's three steps. I'm going to give you the, you've got most of them in your, your uh, worship order, but I'm going to give you the first word. First word is believe. By the way, the three words are going to believe, act, believe. Okay, two of them are the same, so it's super easy. Believe, act, believe. First, you need to believe that you can have forgiveness because of the authority of Jesus. Jesus can give it to you. Okay, that's everything we've been talking to up to this point. So I'm not really going to belabor that, but Jesus says he forgive, can forgive, so take him at his word. Okay, forgiveness is out there. It exists. And then secondly, act. We receive forgiveness through confession. So for these next two points, I'm going to shift gears over to 1 John. Usually I stay in one passage, but today we're going to go to 1 John because uh, John talks a lot about this idea of forgiveness uh, in 1 John and, and specifically confession. And so in light of Jesus' authority, we need to come to him in faith, confessing our sins and believing that he will indeed forgive. And, and again, we come as paralyzed people. So let's look at 1 John 1.9 and talk about confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By the way, that if we confess is not a one-time confess. The Greek there is very clear that it is an ongoing confessing. If we are confessing our sins is a very accurate way to translate that. Now, confession, the word means agreeing with something. 
Confession means to agree. So confessing sin isn't just admitting to something, okay? That's admitting. Confessing is something different. Confessing means I agree with the Lord on His perspective regarding my sin. So I am bringing it out into the open, and I'm saying, Lord, this is where it belongs. It shouldn't be hidden because everything is seen in your sight. So I'm, in, I'm agreeing that you can see it. So I'm speaking it myself, and I am agreeing that what I did was wrong. And if I truly agree that what I did was wrong, then that means that I also, in my heart and in my actions, must resolve to change. The word for that is repentance. So true confession confession involves repentance, where my life changes, where I turn from my sin and to the Lord. I need to do both. Now, why do I say it involves repentance? Well, just a few verses later in 1 John 2, 3, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And by the way, that's our keeping. Not just keep once, but are keeping a continual ongoing thing. And again, not perfection. John isn't talking about perfection. That becomes clear in his letter. But it is a pattern of behavior where I'm confessing and my life is changed. So when I confess my sins, I am forgiven and my life changes. And I have forgiveness in Christ. So if I believe that he can indeed forgive, then I should be free to say, man, I can confess my sins without consequence because He has great mercy for me. So I believe that He can forgive me. I then act by confessing my sins, so I receive forgiveness through confession, but then there's a third step, a third thing I need to believe, and that is we have forgiveness because of the satisfactory payment of Jesus, the satisfactory payment of Jesus. I must believe that. It's one thing to think Jesus can forgive. I've confessed my sins, but now I don't believe that Jesus has forgiven me. And something else entirely to believe those first two things and then robustly say, and yes, I am forgiven. By faith, I believe that I am forgiven. Last week, we saw Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. I want to revisit it because there's another beautiful truth that relates to what we're saying today. Last week, we talked about demonic authorities. That was in verse 15. But in verse 13, Paul says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, so he has forgiven us all our trespasses. Why? Because he said he canceled the record of debt. Now, the imagery that Paul is using here when he talks about kind of taking this thing and nailing it to the cross is that when somebody paid a prison sentence to pay off their debt or, you know, for a crime or whatever, the list of charges was nailed to the door of the, the, wherever they were being held. And when they had served their sentence, it was written paid in full on that slip and then was given to them so that they had proof that indeed whatever they had done, whatever debt they owed was paid paid in full. So Paul here is saying, our sin has been paid in full. It's been nailed to the cross. The punishment has been fully satisfied. Or think about it this way. Rox loves to go to the fruited plain uh, when when she's uh, working on stuff. And um, now just pretend that Rox is forgetful and doesn't bring money or her card. She's not forgetful. She's always prepared and she's ready to pay. But let's say she was. And she if she gets there, she is like, oh, I, I can't pay. I'm what am I going to do? I have to go home and get money. Now, me as a wonderful, loving husband know that my wife is forgetful. Again, she's not forgetful. But let's say I go to the fruited plane ahead of time. And I go to the cashier and I say, hey, my wife comes in here all the time. Here's $20. You know, if she ever forgets, 
something or forgets her money, just pay for it out of this. She doesn't need to know anything, just, just pay for it out of this. Later that day, Rox comes in, she's forgotten her money or her card, and she's like, oh, I forgot my money. And the cashier can say, hey, don't worry about it. It's been covered. Now, it would be unjust if the cashier did not allow Rox to order. Why? Because it's been paid. That would make, be making her double pay. But God has paid for our sin. So forgiveness is available to us. In 1 John 1, 9, we saw that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You may look at that and you've been wondering, why does it say that God is just to forgive us of our sins? It seems actually very unjust that God would ever forgive anybody. That's the opposite of justice, right? Well, it's because it's been paid for. It would be unjust for God not to forgive the sins of those whose sins were paid for on the cross. God is just. So we must believe that we have forgiveness because of the satisfactory payment of Jesus. So when I believe that Jesus can forgive, and then I act by confessing my sin, the next step is to believe that I'm forgiven. I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live a burdened life. I can believe that, oh, I am forgiven. Now, that raises one more question, though. Is confession somehow appropriating or earning some sort of forgiveness? Because if forgiveness comes with confession, how does that fit if we're already forgiven in Christ? Why, then, do I really actually need to forgive? Mark, you've walked through these three steps. This middle one doesn't seem very necessary. Well, I think it is indeed necessary. We've seen, again, that Jesus did indeed pay for our sins. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. That means He's the right sacrifice. He's fully satisfied the cost of our sins. Once, Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sin. So everything Christ did, He did once. All of our sins, past, present, future, were in the future when Jesus died on the cross for us. So why the need to confess? Positionally, we're forgiven, and we don't need to fear that if I don't confess before I die, that somehow God won't have His forgiveness. Let's say I sin right before I get hit by a truck on the way home, and, I, and I'm dead. It's like, oh no, sorry, Mark, you know, you didn't, you didn't confess, you're in trouble. But Romans 8.1 tells us that there is there, now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We read that as we sang this morning. Not planned, by the way. So our position with Christ is firm. But we are temporal creatures. We live in time and space. We aren't just positional creatures who are declared righteous in God. We also walk with God as His creation. I think a, a good way to think about it, these aren't necessarily biblical terms, but you have the idea of fellowship, which is my standing with God. I am His child. Nothing can change that because I am in Christ. I have confessed my sins to Him initially, became a Christian. I am relationally His son. But then there's fellowship, and my fellowship with God can be broken. Not in the sense that God hates me and wants to turn His back on me and never listen to me again, but in the sense that I've turned my back on Him. So if God's orientation toward me is, you are my son, 
But my orientation to him is kind of, eh, I kind of want to go do my own sinning over here. What happens is I need to fully turn around say, God, I confess. So confession is reorienting my life toward God. It's not earning God's forgiveness, but it is me bringing myself back into right relationship and God saying, yes, you are my beloved child. You are forgiven. God doesn't live in time and space. He created time and space, but he interacts with us as creatures who are in time and space. What a wonderful God who would come down and interact with us in such a way. He wouldn't have to, but he does. He does. So we need to be confessing, not to earn forgiveness, but to be walking in a healthy way with God and in a way that honors Him. So when you become aware of your sin, the right thing to do is acknowledge it. In the same way in any relationship you have, when you become aware of something that you've done against them, is you acknowledge it. You don't just brush it under the rug. That may feel better, but it doesn't make relationship restored. When you confess it, that's what restores the relationship, right? When you give them an opportunity to forgive you, or in some hard instances, to share even more of maybe how you have hurt them. That's one of the reasons why confession is so difficult, right? Because you may confess and they may not receive you. Well, church, I stand before you and tell you that the scriptures say that should we confess our sins to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no doubt that forgiveness is there. So believe that you have been forgiven. So believe that Jesus can forgive, confess, and believe that He has forgiven you. May that be the type of church that we are. So our response today, just this, Christian, come Come, believe. You know, once you've come to Jesus, believe that you are forgiven and free, that that sin does not push you down, it doesn't hold you down, you are free. Now, we have a card, uh, an index card that was in your seats. It, uh, and I want us to take the next few minutes. Uh, there'll be some uh, music playing, so Mary, you can come on up and uh, play some, some background music. And I want you to invite all of us to spend some time in silent confession. If you're a Christian, confess your sin to the Lord. Write it down on the card. Feel free to write in code. If you're like, you know, I don't want people seeing kind of what I'm writing down, then just write something that nobody in the world would understand what it is. The Lord will understand. Bring these before the Lord. Confess that, that they're wrong, that it deserves God's wrath, but then just say, Lord, I confess this to you, and then thank God that you have been forgiven. I think that's a great way to demonstrate that you believe that God has forgiven you. Thank Him for forgiveness. Once you've confessed all that, I encourage you to write on your card, paid in full. Paid in full and then rip it up. I also put a shredder right at the entrance of the church, so you can go back there either now or at the end of the service and put your card in the shredder if you want. It'll, it'll be fun, um, but it, or it may just give you a sense of relief. It's a visible picture of, my sins are forgiven. Or rip it up, do something with it. You can take home and burn it if you want. Now, if you're not a Christian, I invite you to do the same thing. I invite you to place your faith in Jesus. Confess that you are a sinner and that you need God to save you because you can't save yourself. And I tell you this, God will welcome you with open arms. Whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. That is what Jesus says. He will save you. He will save you. So take a moment.
confess your sins, and then I'll close us in prayer after that.
Father God, we thank you that you have forgiven us of our sins. In your mercy, Lord, help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. And Father, may we trust in your freedom, trust in your grace, trust in your mercy. Thank you that you do not ask us to earn your favor, but you delight in your children and you give us your goodness. You gave us Jesus hanging on the cross, free of charge, simply because that is who you are. Lord, thank you for forgiving us and help us to believe that you have indeed forgiven us. Help us to continually walk in forgiveness. May we be quick to confess our sins to you and to one another. We praise you for your mercy and your grace. Amen.